Side Hustle Show 236, what I've learned and applied from 49 Awesome Entrepreneurs, part four. What's up, what's up, Nick Lober here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because the rat race doesn't need any more rats. Special solo edition of the show for you today with the fourth installment of what I've learned and applied from 49 Awesome Entrepreneurs. This is where I look back at the number one tips from the last 50 or so guests and attempt to pull out the best of the best, the juiciest, most relevant words of wisdom that have been uttered and explain how I interpret the advice, how you can implement it, and how I'm applying it in my own businesses. So I've done this three times so far, first in episode 50, which was my first ever solo show, then again in episode 124, and then again in episode 177. If you missed those, feel free to dive back into the archives to check them out, and I'll also link them up in the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash tips four, tips and the number four. I don't have a highlight reel for you this week, but I will include the number one tip from all of the last 49 guests on that page at sidehustlenation.com slash tips four if you want to refresh your memory and find out what everybody said. If there were some common themes from the last 50 guests, the advice I heard uh, over and over again was to get started, build an audience, and take action. And taken in this context, I know it can sound like a boilerplate motivational speech, but I want to reiterate, as I probably have in all of these Roundup episodes, that when a piece of advice keeps coming up, when successful people from all different businesses use the same phrases when asked for their number one tip, I think that has some weight. I'll be back to tell you a little bit more about ZipRecruiter and SendPro in a bit, but for now, on with the show. Ready? Let's do it. To kick us off, I'm going with Ace Chapman in episode 182. His number one tip was to transition your thinking. Don't build your income from scratch. He said, when I need money, I go buy it. And while Ace was talking specifically about buying businesses, this has actually helped me as an investor. I'm like the world's least savvy stock market person, but this comment in combination with a guest post uh, by Ben Reynolds from SureDividend.com on Side Hustle Nation last year has really helped me invest with more confidence. Now, instead of worrying about buying at a market peak, which it's been nothing but peak for the last eight years, I buy for cash flow. And I know it's tough to get excited about a 3 or 4% dividend yield, but I look at it as one part of my side hustle snowball. I can use that cash flow to erase expenses and they build up over time. The market can go up, the market can go down, but I'm still collecting that cash flow every quarter. And even if the numbers aren't huge, that's passive income and that's exciting for me. It's getting paid over and over again from work I did once. So how can you implement ACE's advice? Well, you can do the investing thing too, but if you don't have a ton of cash to start with, you might find some some creative ways to finance some income producing assets. Maybe that's offering your skills as an apprentice or an intern or a hired sales gun on a performance basis. Maybe that's taking some of Chad Carson's real estate ideas from episode 222 into action. Maybe that's taking some of Daryl Fitzgerald's product flipping ideas from episode 178, where he's talking about reselling items on eBay to multiply his money faster. We want to build stuff from scratch and I'm the same way, but we might not need to. In fact, it might be faster to tack on to what somebody else has already built. And on a broader scale, Ace's comment, don't build your income from scratch, can really be taken to mean use the assets, the experience, the knowledge and connections you've spent a lifetime accumulating up to this point to your advantage. In that sense, nobody is ever really starting from scratch. Next up was Dan Harris in episode 186. He said, the happiest people are doing things that they absolutely love to do and are really good at. Now, I feel really blessed to get to do work that I love every day. 
And I definitely wouldn't consider myself the world's best podcaster or blogger or author or father, but I can look at all of those things and say with confidence that I'm a lot better now than when I started. It's kind of an ongoing practice, learning the craft and aiming for continuous improvement for Kaizen, right? So how can you implement that in your day-to-day? Remember, the journey is the destination. So this is it, guys. We might as well enjoy it. And I've sure got, um, like everybody else, you know, good days and bad days. But I've tried over the last 15 years to take back control over my calendar and invest time where I want to. So maybe you can't reclaim eight or 10 hours a day just yet. But I think you can take Dan's advice and do the thing you love a little every day or every week. Because if you don't make time for it, nobody else will. In episode 197, I hosted a productivity roundtable with three of my favorite productivity bloggers and podcasters. I had Eric Fisher from uh, beyondthetodolist.com. I had Mike Vardy from productivityist.com and Paul Miners from paulminers.com. And it wasn't a number one tip that I took away, but it was something from that conversation that Mike Vardy said, and it was his suggestion of implementing theme days. This was something I finally implemented this spring, and so far, I am loving it. To give you an idea of my theme days, I've got Monday set aside for content creation. What that looks like in practice is finalizing this week's or that week's podcast episode and working on writing for the blog. Tuesdays are set aside as meeting days and podcast recording days, with a few rare exceptions. It's now the only day of the week that I have meetings or calls, and that's probably been the biggest game changer in my uh, schedule once booking tool. It's the only day that's open. And what that's done is opened up bigger blocks of uninterrupted time the rest of the week, which has been really helpful in moving forward with deep work blocks or on longer term projects I would normally procrastinate on or would be really easy to procrastinate on because well, I, don't have time, I don't have enough time to tackle that and to make meaningful progress. Uh, Wednesdays, I spend on some different side hustle projects. And in the afternoon, I try to catch up on administrative stuff and beat back down the email backlog. And Thursdays, I've got an early morning mastermind meeting. Then I do the Side Hustle Nation weekly newsletter. And then the rest of the day is blocked off for those longer term growth projects before I never had a dedicated block of time for that. And so lately, that's been working on the new version of the Side Hustle Nation website and reworking some of the email uh, onboarding sequences. And Fridays, my wife and I usually have off and there's no daycare. So I don't schedule anything and we can just hang out as a family. The next number one tip comes from Rosemary Groner in episode 199. She says, calculate your ROI, and probably nobody does this better than her. So one of my recent projects was actually trying to revitalize my Pinterest traffic, which Rosemary first told me about in episode 142. Her strategies have been a huge win over the last 18 months, thousands of visitors to the blog uh, every month for next to nothing. It's almost too good to be true. And so it wasn't a complete shock when I started to see a slow and steady decline in referrals from Pinterest this year. So to combat that, I hired a Pinterest specialist VA who I actually connected with through Gina Horky from HorkyHandbook.com in episode 164 of the Side Hustle Show. She teaches a course on how to become a Pinterest VA. So I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. Um, And so you can post a job on her site and she'll put it out to her graduates, her student graduates. But as the the pitches and the quotes came back, I had to ask myself for really the first time, well, what's this traffic worth? Does it make sense to spend 500 bucks a month on it instead of the $10 I was currently spending? If the numbers are high enough, for sure. But what's, what's a realistic result? So I had Rosemary's advice of calculate your ROI in the back of my head as I was estimating all this stuff. 
And what I ended up calculating was it was going to take a pretty significant increase in traffic just to break even on the VA investment. So what we compromised on was a shorter term Pinterest account makeover experiment. And then we're gonna have to reevaluate after after a couple months and see what's going on. So results are looking good so far. But without that ROI estimate, I'd, I'd probably have nothing to really gauge that performance against. So how can you implement this? Before you plunk down on a new capital expense or a new team member, estimate that ROI. And it may be just in terms of freeing up your hours, or may you may have concrete deliverables, concrete results. But if it's not positive, or if you don't see a realistic way to make it positive, I think you've got to go back to the drawing board and figure out, well, what can I do on my end to make that worthwhile? Or maybe it's not time to make that higher. In the next episode, in episode 200, Tony DiLorenzo from OneExtraordinaryMarriage.com said, get something up there that allows you to begin making money, like a top 10 list. And for context, he was talking uh, about a kind of affiliate marketing post, but geared to your niche. So in Tony's case, it was content like, you know, here are the 10 best gifts to get your wife for Christmas or Valentine's Day, or here are the 10 best gifts for your husband for Valentine's Day. And each of those was a product linked to Amazon with his Amazon Associates account. It was Tony's comment, along with a comment from Joseph Hogue in episode 220, that kind of shook my thinking about blogging and websites a little bit. So when I started blogging way back in 2009, I saw it as kind of an online diary. Like, this is what I'm up to. This is what I'm working on. Not a lot of strategy at that point and not a lot of readers at that point either. So what Joe said was, if you don't expect to get Google traffic for a post, why are you writing it? And it kind of hit me over the head that each piece of content I create should be able to stand alone as a traffic generating asset, either from search or from social. Now, I still create content that's more geared toward existing subscribers, and probably the quarterly progress reports are the best example of that. I don't expect anyone to type in Side Hustle Nation progress report into Google and find those posts. But for almost everything else, I've tried to rethink the writing process with that question in mind. How's anybody ever going to find this? And that brings me to Tony's comment on monetization. Once somebody does find it, what's that worth? What do you want people to do? Click on an affiliate link, click on an ad, sign up for your email list, buy your product. So to that end, I've created, I've tried to create more action-oriented posts and either monetize those, uh, monetize those posts directly, send people to other, you know, quote, money pages or to generate email signups. And this is for both Side Hustle Nation and so the other sites that I run. Get something up there that allows you to begin making money. So take that and run with it. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. In episode 210, Nagina Abdullah said, look at the long game, set short-term goals, but know your big picture long-term goal. And I've got a confession to make. I'm really bad at big picture long-term goals. So this was kind of a slap in the face. And this is horrible, right? Because it makes, it, it just makes sense. If you don't know what you're shooting for, you're probably going to miss. So someone asked me recently, actually it was Pete McPherson from doyouevenblog.com, which that's just a name that I love. Do you even blog? Um, where do you see yourself in five years? Which, you know, pretty standard interview question, but I totally blanked on it. And the stuff, the reason why is the stuff that I'm doing today looks so different from what I was doing five years ago, which looked so different from what I was doing five years before that. It's hard to say what it'll be going on in 2022. And, and even just saying that number sounds crazy. It's like so futuristic. Now, if life, to be honest, if life looked similar to how it does today, I would be totally cool with that. But I know it probably won't, given the pace of change, given the history. And that's what makes it kind of a scary, kind of exciting question. So what's the long game? Obviously, to be a good husband, be a good dad, keep trying to serve the nation as best I can. As long as his work is still fun, I don't have any plans to stop doing it. But I'm curious, though, do you have a clear long-term goal? Am I alone in not having a, uh, the vision board with the ski lodge and the beach house and the yacht? Nagina's advice actually echoes some advice from a book called The Top 10 Distinctions Between Millionaires and the Middle Class. The author argues that the poor think day-to-day -day or week-to-week, -week. the middle class think month-to-month -month or paycheck-to-paycheck, -paycheck, while the rich can afford to think year-to-year -year or even map out plans that span decades. So if you can afford to think in longer time horizons, that will impact your decision-making today. In fact, that's the reason um, I turned down 95% of the guest pitches that I get, 95% of the affiliate partnership pitches that come across my inbox. It's just not a great fit where is if, if I was chasing the near-term cash, I'd be saying yes a lot more. But it's a balance too, right? Long-term uh, doesn't pay the rent this month or buy groceries this week. So I'm doing my best to implement Nagina's long game advice and come up with some long-term goals I can work toward, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm curious to hear uh, where, where you're at. What are your long-term goals? Let me know in the comments for this episode, sidehustlenation.com slash tips four. In episode 216, Elaine Haney said, go sign up for merch by Amazon today. Look at the trending topics and register for Red Bubble. Well, I skipped the Red Bubble part, but I did want to give you an update on my merch by Amazon side hustle. And I say my, but this has really become my wife's baby, her, her second baby. So we're closing in on a thousand bucks in t-shirt profits since January. And we've tiered up to the 500 shirt level, which is awesome. This is, this is a really fun side hustle. But what we found is it's very much a volume game. We haven't had any viral hits yet, and we're really not following the strategy espoused by other merch 
gurus would say to look uh, look at the shirts with a low bestseller rank, you know, the ones with the proven demand and try and redesign them to look better, try and hire designers to make them, you know, look better because, you know, hey, you know, that one sells and if I could just build a better mousetrap. Instead, we're trying to come up with phrases that we think would sell and uploading those and trying to take advantage of trends and holidays. I would love to see this get to 500 and maybe even a thousand bucks a month. And I think it's feasible as that portfolio grows. 500 shirts is a ton of chances to be discovered in Amazon's search. And we're only using, I think, 130, 135 of those slots right now. Have a compelling hook. That was the advice that Jacques Hopkins gave me in episode 223. Now, Jacques' hook was learn how to play modern songs on the piano in 21 days. Pretty compelling, right? So a compelling hook is more important than ever as our attention spans diminish and with distractions all around us. A compelling hook is what stops people in their tracks and gets them curious to learn more. There's an art and a science to this, but it's something I think I'm getting better at because it's something I practice every every week, every every episode title, every blog title, every Pinterest image, every email subject line, every post on my Facebook page. Those are all opportunities to practice coming up with compelling hooks. So for, for a fun challenge, how you can implement this, right? Before you send your next email, come up with five subject line variations. How about 10 if you're feeling really ambitious? It's something I try and do every week. And my first choice, the first one I write down is rarely the one that gets sent. I think there's something to making your brain come up with these ones. You come up with something better on, you know, the fourth or fifth or 10th iteration. So one headline formula that uh, in this more so for uh, blog posts than for email, but one headline formula that you may have heard of goes like this concrete result plus a specific time frame plus overcoming one common objection. And you see it in stuff like lose 50 pounds in six months, no dieting required. And so where I've been trying to implement this, and these have still some room for improvement, would be blog posts like nine ways to make your side hustle feel more legit, even if you haven't made any money yet. So I could have done nine ways to make your side hustle feel more legit today, even if you haven't made any money yet, to to give that specific time frame. I've got seven ways to come up with new business ideas with real life examples. I could have done seven ways to come up with a new business idea by this weekend, even if you've never started a business before. Although real life examples maybe overcomes one objection. It's like, is this all theory? No, it's like, hey, we got some real stuff in here. So have a compelling hook. So important to get people, get and keep people's attention. Next up, I've got Scott Volker from TheAmazingSeller.com in episode 226. His number one tip was do something, take action and get a result. In that episode, he challenged Side Hustle Show listeners to go out and make $500 in the next seven days, starting with decluttering your attic or your garage by listing items on eBay or Craigslist. So I took Scott up on the challenge and... While I didn't hit the $500 mark, I did end up selling more than $100 worth of stuff that was otherwise just sitting around collecting dust. It felt great to get it out of the house and get paid for it at the same time. And we had other people posting their results in the Facebook group, which was really encouraging to see too. So if you're struggling to get started, I highly recommend checking out that episode with Scott. He's going to get you motivated and he shares the types of products that are hot sellers, which I actually found to be true stuff like, you know, sporting team stuff, you know, vintage hats and branded everything. Plus, he shares how to source profitable inventory. It's a small action you can take to get a result, and hopefully that starts the flywheel spinning. It's not about, you know, clearing out your attic. It's about, you know, building momentum, right? So let me know how it goes. All right, so how about a new number one tip from me? I know in episode 50, I said find your why, and I still agree with that, but let me leave you with another idea. If you define success, like I do, as having control over your own calendar, you can start practicing that today. You don't have to wait until you retire 
or until you quit your job or until you have the four-hour work week. I think the biggest cause of stress, or maybe this is just for me, maybe this is just for control freaks like Nick, but the biggest cause of stress for me is feeling like I'm not in control. If that sounds familiar, you know, why not take some back, even if it's just on a small scale? I'm talking five minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes a day to tackle your priorities, whatever they may be. You know, make it a habit. The biggest game changer, honestly, for me this year was the micro habit of doing one proactive task before email. So the night before, I identify my top three priorities for the next day. I tackle priority number one, first thing in the morning before email, before social media. It's super simple, but it's a tiny way for me to reclaim some time and practice that definition of success. Controlling my calendar builds positive momentum into the day. And you can do it too, regardless if you're still working nine to five. So you can find all 49 tips plus mine at sidehustlenation.com slash tips for, and be sure to drop in a number one tip of your own if you want in the comments. Uh, Check out the full list and let me know your favorite. If you like what you've been hearing on the Side Hustle Show, make sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. That way you'll never miss an episode and we've got some good stuff coming up. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where I'm joined by the King Sumo himself, Noah Kagan. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.